1: a cousin and dear friend, builder of digital things, and the founder of Young Brands, which supports digital startups. John Young is a true pioneer in the digital age. Welcome, John. Hi, Heidi. <laughs> so it's such a treat to have you on today. And as a lot of my digital selfers know, this is one of my favorite things is to bring in people that are come from different parts of my life, but that are doing really exciting, fascinating things. So I'm excited to actually learn a little bit more about what you're up to. Oh,
2: boy. Well, I, I, I'm so happy to be here and uh, just such a fan of your podcast. And as I was just telling you that just looking at, at the, the range of interesting people that you've talked to, and just the mountain, the, the subject matter, it's, it's really amazing. So I, I'm really honored to be here.
1: Well, thank you. It's it's a treat to have you on. Tell our digital selfers a little bit about your background, your story. How did you come to be doing what you're doing now? And where does digital fit into your life?
2: Okay, so I, I've ridden the digital wave since, since the beginning. And, and, you know, you can say I'm a pioneer, but I'm more of a digital mutt. And, uh, you know, it goes back to, to growing up and, you know, there's, there's this saying that uh, play is the work that children do. Well, I, I took that to heart and made a career out of it. And so, you know, growing up, you know, like a lot of kids, I was, you know, playing with director sets and, you know, building boat models to have in races and building tree forts. And, you know, one day I wanted to be an architect the other day, next day, I'd want to be a cartoonist. I was just, I was into making stuff and, you know, I'd, I'd make a newspaper for our home, for our family, and just like, you know, type up the news for, you know, what's happening, you know, draw little pictures. And uh, I would start companies with my friends and then we'd argue over who would be the president and who would be the vice president. You know, so it's just, I was just all about making things and, you know, it didn't matter if I was, you know, sawing wood and putting things together. I, I also like to take things apart uh, which my mother didn't like, and she'd come home and the television would be apart in two hundred pieces, <laughs> scattered around the living room, and of course I had no idea how to put it back together. But I was just you know intensely curious about how things worked and stuff like that. And you know at the time, you know, you know I, I loved media, I loved comic books. I you know was gorging myself on TV with Saturday morning cartoons, and I was a huge fan of the Jetsons. And, you know, everything I saw in the Jetsons is like, you know, why don't we have that now? Why don't we have our flying car? And, you know, why can't I take Astro out in the conveyor belt and Rosie the robot and our 3D TV? And, you know, that was on one side. And then on the other side, you had this reality where you're watching, you know, NASA, NASA astronauts blast off to the moon. And so there's just like, you know it was just like this crazy world and I was always trying to make sense of it. So I was just sort of, as an odd duck, little creative kid, just, you know, just into making stuff. I I kept pursuing that and, you know, went through high school and uh, ended up in art school in Philadelphia at university of the arts and, you know, going to art school is, you know, it's wonderful experience. So concentrated and you really work hard. My, my major was, uh, in design, uh, but you get to try everything. I was you know, doing photography and filmmaking and audio. And I, I just, I was looking for my medium. I, I just, I loved all these different you know, ways of uh, self expressing. And, and you know, but I, I, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't know what the perfect medium was. I just like, you know, how does this stuff all come together? What happened was, you know, I graduated school and, and, in the art school, I said, you know, it's great. You learn all these things and you're around all the other artists and it's just an invigorating environment. And then you graduate. And the one thing art school doesn't do is tell you how to get a job. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I was in Philadelphia. I was in my little townhouse apartment and had a six foot canvas that I was painting on. It was like 200 degrees out and hot and humid and I was broke and bored. And I was like, God, this just sucks. And yeah, you know, what am I gonna do? And my next door neighbor, he was he was in the exact same position. So we just started making noise. We had pots and pans and a tape recorder and the innards of a grand piano, and he had a guitar. And we just started making, we weren't musicians, we just started making horrific arty noise. And we thought we were so proud of ourselves. So we took our show down to the subway of Philadelphia and started doing performance art in the subway and, you know, scaring commuters as they went by. And a guy who uh, had an art gallery came by and saw us and went, oh, look at this performance art. Why don't you come perform at our gallery? We're like, sure. And so we started doing, you know, fancy performance art in galleries, you know, with smoke bombs and all kinds of stuff. And a guy with a nightclub came along and said, Hey yo, why don't you guys come play at our club? And we said we're not a band, you know, we're performance artists. He goes, it doesn't matter, just come play. And you know this is early '80s, so we're you know we're sure we'll go out and put our show. And we had to come up with some songs. And next thing you know, we're we're playing gigs. We're going up to New York. We're playing danceatery and CBGBs and all this. And a guy with a record company comes on and says, Hey yo, why don't we put out some records? We're like, Sure, let's go we put out records and we're next thing you know we're touring europe we're on MTV on 120 minutes we're in you know rolling stone everything is just like you know this is over a period of like 5 years you know everything we're, we're still very underground very art school it was a band called executive slags mm-hmm. and right then we got a call from warner brothers you know it was big time they call us up and say we love you guys we want to sign you and right then my singer, my, my, who was my neighbor freaked out and said, you know, I didn't want to be a rock and roll star. You know, we're, we're artists. We're, we're broken out of work. And this thing totally spun out of control and he quit because he wanted to be a, an artist. And I was like, don't quit, do this for a couple of more years. And, you know, he, he said, "No, my artistic integrity is like ah, <laughs> why?" <laughs> but so anyway, that that you know, it, it was a is a wonderful experience because being in a band just taught me everything I needed to know later in life. It's just like you're you're a few people all together. You're working in a common direction. There's a bigger world all around you. You needed publicists and record companies and poor people and all this stuff. But the the real core of getting things done, I just I. Thrive for that partnership of working together amongst people and you could do amazing things I found just later on no matter what you did it came down to that and some people you know Some people say yeah, well, you know, we're looking for Leonard Bernstein's to conduct the orchestra And Mm -hmm. I say well actually I'd rather be the Beatles, you know, just tight-knit, you know, just let's get down and craft Let's make this happen. So so that was a big formative experience then through music yeah, sort of towards the tail end of it, all of a sudden, you know, computers, PCs, you know, Macintosh came along in 1984. And I was like, oh, I can use this for music. I can use this for making stuff. I can make art on it. And so I got into that. And then when the band broke up, I got back to design. And then I got into advertising. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing multimedia pop up. And also, I started scratching my head going, Multimedia? That's kind of what I've been looking for all this time. All all these things started coming together making sense. And then this online world popped up. And this is pre-web, but there was an internet and there were BBSs and there were Mm -hmm. online services like CompuServe and even Apple had a service called eWorld. So I I dove into that head first. And I remember I was working at an ad agency. One of our clients was was a golf client called Atonic. And I said to my boss, I said, Hey, you know, there are all these golfers talking to each other in these chat rooms. And he just looked at me, he's like, Golf on computers? That's just weird. He just he just could not grok it. So anyway, at that time I hopped off and went down to New York and joined one of the very first digital agencies. It was called Poppy.com. And I think there were only three of us. The three you know digital agencies in the world at that time. And it was so early in the internet. The mosaic was here, so we had the web, mm-hmm. but we helped launch Netscape. And then we created the first White House website, and we created the first Cybercast. And we created, you know, we did the Castro versus Deep Blue event. We did the first database driven website we we created the first commercial ai driven bot which was called the milk mystic which was for i don't know if you remember the milk mustache campaign mm-hmm. uh you know, for 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 milk and it was all these celebrities but anyway so we created an online celebrity called the milk mystic and it was a sentient bot that you could talk to anything about milk or anything you wanted to talk we we made it you know you know, looking back, it's like, it's still pretty cool. It is very, very early. But what was really cool about that time was that nothing had been invented yet online. So if you wanted to do something, if you had an idea, you know, you'd go to a programmer and say, Hey, I got this idea. Let's create this sentient bot. They go, oh, that's impossible. Then they come back the next day. You know, that thing you're talking about you know, we might be able to pull that off. And so everything, there was no off the shelf software for anything. You had mm-hmm. to create it from scratch. And so, you know, whatever you could imagine, and then find the wherewithal to build it. And so that was just real a really exciting time. And we grew from, started with like 15 people when I got there and grew to 300 people over a few years, built 30 offices around the world and working with you know tremendous brands like IBM and Microsoft. And we helped launch Priceline. But it was just it was strap on an oxygen tank and go in digital time. And it's just like digital, go, go, go. And it was really special, exciting time. You know, and a lot of us, we didn't know where it was headed. A lot of people were going well, you know, internet might be the CBU radio. I was like, well, you know, it might be, but I'm (laughs) here now. And, you know, we're trying to strap people onto our journey. And, you know, you'd meet people who say, you know, I'm an internet expert. And you're going, you know, what's an expert? This this whole industry is only like three years old. So how much of an expert are you? And I, I was bringing people from publishing. I was bringing artists in. And and just sort of roping them into to our journey, and they're like, "I don't know anything about this internet stuff." It's like, listen, if you know how to publish a magazine, how you you know how to design, you know these wonderful, you know, one what one designer came into to interview, and his portfolio was a bag full of clothing labels, and and he uh, he was working for Urban Outfitters, and he designed all these brands, and that and it's like, if you can do that, you can, you know. This internet stuff will be easy for you. It was really fun just sort of bringing everyone along and sort of bringing them on a journey. Our company went public and we we merged Modem Media. And then I jumped off and said, well, that was fun. Let's do that again. (laughs) And so I started another company called Tribal, which was part of uh, DDB Needham, which is big global Mm -hmm. advertising. It's part of Omnicom, which is an even bigger media holding network. And you know, I'd looked around at all the digital agencies who were doing all this exciting stuff, and a lot of them were doing great things. And there's RGA, there's Digitas, there are all these agencies that coming up. And I said, "Well, who who's screwing up?" And DDB had a wonderful creative heritage, but just when it came to the internet, they they needed work. So I went there with my partner Matt Freeman, and we start is sort of the same story with as with Poppy. We started Tribal with nobody, and over three years, went to 500 people and 50 offices. And we were working with McDonald's and Pepsi and Budweiser and Sony. We created Was Up, which was like an online sensation. We created Pepsi Stuff, which went on like 10 million bottle caps of the points on on Pepsi's, where where you could uh, you know collect points and get digital stuff that was a a wonderful experience. And and in Tribal, our mission was to try to bring humanity to the digital age. And the the prevailing wisdom at the time was, you know, if if you, you know, all the internet pundits would say, people are online for the quest for information. You know, and we, that just didn't sit right with us. We were Mm -hmm. like, well, if that were true, libraries would be the most popular place on the planet. And and we thought there was something deeper. There was something, you know, why we're asking the question, why are people online in the first place? So we actually pulled in some sociologists and psychologists and said, can you tell us why people are online? What are they doing here? And they came back with an interesting point of view, and, and they talked about a brain state called deep play Mm. and that people are online, you know, whether you're just surfing or you're, you're, you're doing social media or you're, you know, you're trading on eBay, you're, you're very mission oriented. Your, your attention is concentrated, but it has all the factors of play. There's, you know, rewards. It's the gamification of things. There's all these things. And there's a, this, you know, they, they could talk about all the neurons that get set off when you get satisfaction through your online activities and some some are, are are very high, some might be for your status, you know, through social media, or some are just you know for simply fun, or maybe you're just trying to put food on the table for your family. They're all they're all games of a sort. They're all every time you put your hands on the keyboard, you're starting a new mission. And so, you know, that part really resonated with us. And so we've really bonded to the we're we're gonna bring humanity to this digital age and we're gonna focus on the human side of things and, and try to delight you know, all, all you know, what, what's going on. Now, one thing I, I, forgot, I forgot to mention is a big thing. Back at Poppy, we created the first online ad. And because of that, we then said, what's the marketplace to buy and sell online ads? And we we incubated DoubleClick at Poppy and then spun it out. the people that went and led DoubleClick, you know, got all the credit. But again you know online advertising didn't exist we just said well what if there was but our our vision for online advertising was very different than it is now mm-hmm. and we were approaching it from a human side first and it's like it was kind of like take all this media you got you know video and animation and visuals and sound and this magic interactive stuff and connectivity and put it all together you could deliver ads that people want and that they would enjoy more and, and could be more richer experiences and, and not this, you know, it, it, somehow it got away from itself and now it's the you know, programmatic blah, 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 and it's hyper targeting. And, and you know, for some reason, we're still seeing ads we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> it's just, you know, I despair over that. So anyway, that, that was just a little side. I've, I've, I meant to mention that. But uh, so, so Tribal was, again, another great, you know, big success story. Afterward, I said, okay, that's great. I've, I've done – and this is all through the go, 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 go dot-com time. And then the internet bust came. It's like, okay, <laughs> everything craters. And, you know, post-2001, you know, everything's sort of in the dust heap. And I had left Tribal by that point, And I was on my own. And I was freelancing at an agency called Ogilvy. And I was working on, uh, we we were basically creating the whole text-to-vote thing for American Idol. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, at that time, no one in the U.S. was texting. People in Japan and, and Europe, you know, they, they, they were talking about they had texting phones. But in the U.S., it was zilch. No one was texting. Yeah. And it really wasn't until American Idol came along with text-to-vote that people started going, hey, I can text. There's this thing. And then... All of a sudden, you know, you know it, it took hold from there. Mm-hmm. So that, that was an exciting place to be. And I, I met up with a friend of mine, Chris Keefe at the time, and he, he, was in the, he was doing the same thing I was doing. He was freelancing at Digitas on American Express. And the two of us got together and I said, hey, Chris, it couldn't be a worse time to start an agency. So why don't we start an agency? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got together. Chris Keith and John Young is Keefe and Young. And we did all the things that you would think you would do to start an agency. We created our own website. We made fancy business cards. And then we looked around and went, clients, what are we going to do about clients? There are no clients right now. The, the, the economy's in shatters. There are no clients anywhere. So we sent out a digital Christmas card to everyone we knew on the planet. And it was announcing our new agency and it was right around the holidays. So it was in in happy holidays from, you know, this new agency, Keith and Young, and probably sent out about a thousand of those. And one email landed on the desk of a woman at Disney, uh, Maureen Bergmuller, who was product manager for a new game they were launching called Toontown. And Toontown is a massively multi user world where kids could go in and become any cartoon character that they want to be and play with all their friends. So there'd be you know, tens of thousands of kids all playing together, all as different cartoon characters. It's total mayhem and total fun. So Marine gets our Christmas card, had, had been trying to get budget to hire an agency for a year, just got back to her desk, there's our card, calls us up, says, hey, what a coincidence. And, you know, why don't, you know, tells us all about it. We're like, great. She said, why don't you come in and pitch us? I'm like, great. And then she said, well, uh, by the way, you have to pitch against Gray and Leo Burnett, who are two global agencies. With that two guys on a website, you know, Keith and Young versus two global powerhouses. You know, what do we got to lose? And so, um, you know, push comes to shove. The big agencies came in acting like big agencies. They, you know, talked about their global networks and their glass towers and all you know brought in, you know, fancy people who didn't know the product. Our whole pitch was, this is about Toontown. And we talked about all the things that Toontown could become. And we were just, you know, bubbling over with ideas. And the the thing you should know about Toontown is that, you know, like any good like Bugs Bunny cartoon, there's a, a backstory. In Toontown, the backstory was there's these robot bad guys that are trying to spoil all the fun, and they were called cogs. And the cogs were, uh, you know, they're, they're metal robots dressed up in, you know, coats and ties, and they were the backstabber, the penny pincher, the gladhander. They were all business people. So we walk into Disney in our jeans, casual. We're all bubbling over about Toontown. The, the big agencies walked in, in coats and ties, Looking just like the bad guys. And so they, the, Disney almost laughed them out of the room. It was smart, and they, they asked everyone, you know, what's your favorite thing about this game?" And you know, of course, we were bubbling over, and the guy from one of the big agencies said, "Well, I haven't played yet, but as soon as I get home, I'm going to play with my son." I think Disney kicked them out at that point. They asked us. They said, "Well, how's this going to work if we go with you? You're in New York. We're in LA.." And we said, well, we'll work out of your place. You know, we were just, we didn't have a place. We really meant we'll come out to LA for two weeks and then go back home to New York for for the rest of the time. But we ended up going out to LA and staying for two years and working on the Disney lot. And, you know, I, again, I grew up watching Uncle Walt on Sunday nights with, you know, Walt Disneyland. I was in Paradise and we were working on the Disney studio and had access to animators to editors to sound stages to everything you could want it was all cross-departmental funny money you just called hey can we come edit a video sure come on over and so we helped we launched toontown from you know creating the product to to getting it up and going and then attracting millions of people just staying there you know for for a while we were just living out of the oakwood in burbank where all the child actors and their families were holed up and then we finally got our own place and you know again it was just like you know Getting down, just a few people hunkered together, building something extraordinary. So, so from there, you know, I, I built Keefe and Young up, and you know, we were working with Disney. We got a lot more Disney work. We got some Coca Cola work. We launched Zipcar, which was you know wheels when you want them, and that was just a great technologically based brand. But you know, and it's a very complicated proposition when you talk about Zipcar, and and they have a very high purpose. You know, they're really trying to put less cars on the road when you think about it so they're they're good for the planet but when it comes down to it it's very pragmatic you just need to tell people you don't need to have a car to have a car and wheels when you want them and you don't have to pay for gas you don't have to pay for parking you don't have to pay for maintenance it is very pragmatic but there was a lot of magic and technology within the brand and it was all through online ordering and so it is a very cool hybrid to work on i eventually sold that agency and and then started working on my own with young brands, which is what I'm doing now. I, I, I started young brands doing consulting uh, with a company called Riot Games, and you know, Riot Games right now is is you know I think the number one game of all games, and they're they just they are minting money, and it's just an awesome empire. It's really based on a single game, which is League of Legends, mm-hmm. and in the world of Riot Games, it's a free game. They have millions of players, and it's all pixels, really. They're selling new characters or new costumes or new weapons or new powers. 10 cents here, 25 cents there. And and it all adds up to, you know, just fans just like tricking out their characters. And it's a, a fascinating business. One thing that they came into was really launching this whole field of esports, which is Games is, is a spectator sport. Mm-hmm. And I was with Riot Games in Germany. And yeah, this was all of like four years ago. But yeah, that, that was early days for, for esports. So we're in Cologne, Germany, and went to this little bombed-out building on the edge of town. And there are there some kids out front smoking butts. And you go inside, and you realize this is a soundstage inside. And and there was uh, stadium seating. There are about two hundred kids inside. They come from all over Europe. And end up on the stage were two teams is you know five versus five, and two commentators with uh, who look like you know young ESPN announcers doing play by play. And meanwhile, this all is there's a huge screen between them that was highlighting all the the action. And they they'd sort of gone you know if you look at video game, watch someone play video games. There's a lot of Bang, bang, boom, boom. It's hard to follow, mm-hmm. and so they got rid of a lot of the extra stuff. So you could see strategy, you could see good plays. It's kind of like you know rugby. I, you know, if you don't know rugby, you're gonna to be totally lost. You, you know what's going on, but if you know a few rules, you can catch on. So the same things happened with esports. They can see the plays happening. You can see what what people are doing. You can see the teams battling other teams, and meanwhile, you know. This whole event, which was just happening for 200 people on the edge of Cologne, Germany, was being broadcast out to 4 million other viewers through Twitch. Mm -hmm. And and I, I walked in and went, oh my god, this is the future. And, and, and it was just, it was really exciting. And then I went upstairs where the players were hanging out and they had groupies. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, (laughs) rock and roll. And, and, and these kids, you know, who are players, they're like 17 years old. They're all, you know, they're in teams and they're getting huge sponsorships and they're, but they're being paid to play games. They are living the dream. And it, you know, it is, it was very exciting to be there. So from there, you know, right now, I'm working with a, a small stable of startups, and they, they, there's a real variety. They're all kind of tech enabled businesses. There's one that is particularly just nailing it right now that is just i'm I'm so proud of them. And they're called Earplay. And earplay is it's a platform for creating and publishing digital audio experiences. And, you know, voice, interactive voice like you get on Alexa mm-hmm. or that you could get through Google or Apple, uh, any of your home devices. So, you know, if you want to create, you know, the easy thing to imagine is like imagine like a radio play that you could talk back to and change the script. So what they provide is the tool to make that all happen. And the the founders of, of the company have been, you know, I'm so proud of them because there's they're some some startups go out and they'll they'll try to raise millions of dollars to, you know, build out their company and, and bring it to market. Well, the Earplay guys have really bootstrapped it all themselves. And it's really just they hunkered down, they built a great product, and they went out and got customers. They did a whole, you know, voice-driven world for Mr. Robot. They just did Jurassic Park. For this work, they just won three Webbies, which I'm very proud of. And they uh, were named Alexa Developer of the Year. And from that, they're, they're looking at interactive voice of where it could go. And they're presently developing, you know, it could really, you know, you think about any channel where you need to have interactive voice experience. So the first place is in automobiles, mm-hmm. especially as, you know, as we're not only when we're driving or when we're self-driving cars, you know, audio and audio experience is going to be more and more important. Absolutely. And um, they're also working with wearables like uh, Bose, Bose has made these uh, very tricked-out glasses that are that have interactive technology inside that make them geo-aware, so it knows where you are, but it's also gesture-aware, so you can nod yes or no. So you can walk around and have an interactive audio experience, and it knows where you are, knows what you want, and it can interact with you and can change at any moment. So those types of things with EarPlay are just you know very exciting, and you know the the whole world of you know voices. Is uh, you know you think about you know we're so tethered to our you know laptops and cell phones and you know things in our pocket, but with voice you know you you can just like talk out loud you know Alexa's starting to change some of our habits and you know I find like when I'm in a room without Alexa like sometimes I'll be you know, like Alexa what time is it and she's you know. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. where, where is she? Um, but you know, I, I think we're gonna find more and more uses for that. And then another company that I'm very proud of working with is called Mightier. And Mightier is a it's a platform of games with a very specific purpose. It's uh, games for kids who have cognitive challenges, specifically if they're autistic or they may have ADHD. And so these games use biosensors. So, you know, imagine like you have a, a wristband that is measuring your pulse. And if you're hyperactive, you might want to be playing a game that's going to teach you to calm down and reward you through gamified activity. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, uh, it's founded by some neuroscientists from Children's Hospital. Jason Kahn is, is one of the founders. And I rib them because I say, you guys are the broccoli of games. You know, moms are going to love you, but you got to make sure kids, you know, really <laughs> like it too, because they have veto power over all of this. Absolutely. You know, it, it's got to be a good game. And then, you know, and then, then it needs to you know, change the world. But you think about, you know, the feedback loops that you can do with sensors and the good you can do and the learning you can do through a game environment. And then if you, if you look forward to what's possible, you know, in all our phones right now, we have f- front facing cameras and those cameras can see your face. They can recognize who you are, but they can also recognize emotion. Mm-hmm. And so, especially for if you're autistic, you're disassociated with your emotion. You don't know what happy and sad looks like or feels like. And so you can reward, you can, you know, start training. It's like, you know, do you know, you know can you smile like this? And And yes, do it, you know, more. And you, know, you can encourage. You know, it can have that coaching ability when it knows what you're doing and can recognize you're happy from you're sad.
1: I love that, and I think that's so much where we need to go to be able to really integrate and create synergies with the different technologies, whether it's voice or whether it's face recognition. That was a great example. It sounds really exciting, and and I hope that that becomes uh, very available to the market very soon because it's much needed. they're
2: they're out there mightier.com and uh there you can you can sign up and you know they're 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 starting to grow they're 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 really uh their product is improving every day you know
1: well i would think also you know we have such this this global marketplace and for those who have traveled a lot you've experienced people express themselves differently they the the nonverbal cues are different in different cultures, whether it's your spatial relationship in terms of, you know, what's your personal space to how you respond to things. And, you know, I always joke having lived over in Europe for many years that I have to sort of control my own sarcasm because a lot of cultures don't understand sarcasm. So if you can, (laughs) if you can understand those cues and put them into context of where they're coming from you know, you don't have to necessarily be autistic to, to need that little bit of assistance. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities there for us to be more present and connected and minimize the uh, misunderstandings that often happen from just not really catching some of those really subtle cues.
2: Yeah. It, it, sort of back to the deep play thing. It It is, it's deep play. It's pulling you into that, that, that brain state where, where you're you're, you're hyper-focused, but it's really, it's mindfulness. It's like, it's teaching you, you know, before, before it became a buzzword, it's just like, you know, I have your attention. And then we, now we can do some learning here.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to thank you, first of all, because you're. I didn't even have to ask you any more questions because you basically answered everything <laughs> yeah, I that like I was, was going to ask you. I, know, I was like, wait a minute, there's going to be an interview, but every you kept on going, but you were going in the direction of things that I was going to ask you anyway. So I just let you okay. roll. But so I am curious because you talked a lot about the businesses that you work with. And yeah. But I think, you know, what's also interesting is to understand how your experience with the technology has sort of changed the way that you work and live. And, you know, you've worked inside organizations where you've been embedded and you've been a cre- chief creative officer. And now you're working more independently. That involves different ways of engaging with technology and also mm-hmm. creating spaces that are offline. How do you manage that for yourself personally as someone that's very connected in their work life? What what does that mean for
2: you? Yeah, probably not as well as I should. I I realize I'm probably totally tethered to my technology, but my technology use is is actually pretty simple. You know, email. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That email is where I'm spending most of my time. Facebook, which, you know, Facebook is my personal broadcast station to the world. <laughs> just go on Twitter. I never, I still cannot, I try so many times. I just cannot bond with Twitter. <laughs> Podcasts, I feel too shy and introverted to do do anything near what you're doing. But all along the line, especially at those early dot com years, it became really uh you know, where where people were working all night, nice, you know, 80 hour weeks and stuff like that you know again my focus is on the human beings and going i need you to go home i need you to have a life i need you to be happy and rested and energized so you can come here and bang it out because if you're staying here all night and just you know i said that's a slow grind that's going to lead to burnout and and so i i was literally kicking people out of the agency saying go home you know or no you're not going to work this weekend and you know i need to take my own advice sometimes but I think it's so important to just lead a rich life in, in every regard, you know, go out and go to art museums, you know, Oh, you know, it's springtime; The flowers are sprouting. Go, go smell and go plant some flowers. I, I find the most refreshing thing is just to do some, make something with your hands. Mm. Just like every time I do, I was like, Oh my God, I forgot what this feels like. This is so great. You know, you sit there, you're with like a, a ruler and an exacto knife and you're cutting things out and taping them together or, or even, you know, just cooking a, a great dinner. It's just, it's so great just to make stuff that's real uh, instead of just digital stuff. So I, I, I really, I really savor that. And I always forget like, oh yeah, I, I remember this real stuff. It's, it's kind of cool and, you know, really rewarding.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's so important. And I think, you know, you bring out a really great point in terms of the balance, just because we can be connected all the time doesn't necessarily mean that we should and, and to, you know, to sort of allow ourselves to recharge, but it also gives us the opportunity to step away and come back with fresh perspectives, so that we can do our jobs better, you know, take that moment to smell real flowers so that we can understand how a flower feels when you're creating something that's supposed to be floral in a digital sense. So I think all of those different pieces come together and I really I love your your efforts that you have really focused on the humanity side of things and that's really what I try to emphasize when I work with my clients as well and that you know the digital world doesn't necessarily mean that you take humanity out. In fact there's ways that you can create better humanity and more humanity by integrating digital pieces when you do it mindfully. So, oh, totally. so anyway, I just want to say kudos to you. And it's, it's really been fun learning more about your journey, because we don't talk about this when we're out, uh, you know, in I know, nature. We're out, and, we're out
2: sniffing the roses. Yeah, yeah. we're out busy
1: <laughs> sniffing the roses, going for, you know, a swim in the, under the bridge or whatnot. But it's really fun to hear about your journey and very exciting to hear about some of the companies you're working with. And we'll make sure that we put some links to those in the show notes so people can find them and, and check them out. F- fantastic. Before we close, I just want to ask you one more thing, which is sort of if you could do something totally different that was using your skill set now that would really contribute to humanity, what would be sort of your dream project that you could work on right now?
2: Oh, my God. I
1: know. I caught you off guard. How how,
2: how would you win a Nobel Prize? Yeah. (laughs) Well... if if there's there's one thing that I pine away for I don't know how good it is for humanity but it'd be good for me is I always I always look back at music and Mm -hmm. and I never have enough time for music to play enough music and you know if if I won the lottery I would do nothing but play music uh that that would be my you know it's been my love and my my obsession my professional life is is helped fuel it a little bit but you know that's the one thing that I, I would do and then you know I feel, you know, music is good for the world because it, you know, it goes up in the air and, you know, whoever bonds with it will. But and I think anybody should do some kind of art.
0: You I know, love and, that. And, and
2: sell, you know, being expressing yourself in some manner. And, and you know, to me, it really, you know, the media never really mattered. You know, I love the Internet because it all came together. But, you know, just taking out your iPhone and just snapping some pictures mm-hmm. is, you know, so much fun, you know if, if it if it's a reflection of what you're seeing and what you know, and then you can share it with people. I mean, even that's just fun.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, we're overdue for a jam session this
2: summer <laughs> so, um, yeah. i'm I'm loud and noisy.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm digging that. It's been years since I pulled out my guitar, and it's been sitting in the the corner of my living room, making me feel guilty. But it's about time.
2: I know um, that feeling. You no,
1: know, need, need more of that in my life. Anyway, it has been such a joy having you on the show, and I want to thank you and honor you for the incredible work that you've done and you continue to do, and look forward to sharing it with my audience. And for those digital selfers that have joined us today, I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please. Make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. You know, look forward to catching you on upcoming great episodes. And thank you for your time. Bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.